Well, last Sunday morning, we looked at bringing back the ark the wrong way. And this Sunday morning, we want to look at bringing back the ark the right way, the right way, God's way. And of course, we know that the ark, it represents the, the presence of God, the power and the glory of God. And in David's first attempt to bring back the ark to Mount Zion, everything, everything went wrong. And Uzzah, he was killed, and the ark was brought into the house of Obadidim, where it stayed there for three months, three months. And during those three months, every, everybody in the house of Obadidim, they were blessed. Mummy Obadidim was blessed. Children Obadidim were blessed. Just the blessing of God came down into that house, into that home, because the ark was there. The presence of God is there. And we were saying that, you know, we want the presence of God to come in our homes, our homes, that the presence of God will come, a tangible presence of God. People coming in will just feel, will sense the presence of the living God. And we saw last week that, you know, when that happened, when Uzzah was struck down dead, David was angry with God, and the ark became something to be feared. And, you know, today there's so much lightness in the church today, so much familiarity, so much disrespect. And, you know, we desperately need the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord to come to the church in these last days. And it's going to come. It will come. But in the process of it happening, there will be a few casualties, like Uzzah. But Uzzah, but so that God's glory and presence can come. Proverbs 8 verse 13 tells us, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And, you know, we must all have a healthy regard for God's, God's holiness, God's presence. And we see in the early church where there is revival, where the Holy Spirit was poured out, where miracles were beginning to happen. And then the account of Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira and how that they both lied about land that they'd sold and the cost of it. And, you know, they were making out. They were giving everything to the Lord when really they were keep which they didn't have to, but, and, and then the, but they were secretly keeping back a portion for, for themselves. And they both lied. And God's judgment came and they were both struck dead, like, like Uzzah. And... We read then that the fear of God came upon all the people and there was a, a, a fresh reverence, reverence, respect for a holy God, a holy God. Now, the first time they bought the ark the wrong way, the wrong way. That's in 1 Chronicles 13. And in 1 Chronicles 15, we see David brings the ark to Zion. He does it the right way this time. And there's also an account in 2 Samuel in chapter 6. And I want to look just at four things, four things that happened when they were bringing the ark to Zion the right way. And firstly, David prepares a place for the ark. David prepares a place ready for the ark. And in 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 1, 
15 and verse 1. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God. David prepared a place for the ark of God. And he pitched for it a tent. God wants us to prepare a place, to prepare a place for the presence of God to come. You know, if there's sin in our life, if there's all kinds of bondages in our life, a holy God and the presence of God cannot come. So we've got to get ready. We've got to make preparations so that the, the presence of God can come to us and come in our lives. And that preparation that David had to do, it had to, he had to prepare the place where the, where the ark was to be housed and the assignment of the, prop, the proper you know, um, Levitical assistants or the, the assistants who were going to help with the ark, um, that had to be worked out. And the ark too had to be placed under a tent that it had to be prepared, it had to got, get, get, get ready on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So in the first attempt, 1 Chronicles 13, no preparation was made for the ark when it arrived. No preparation was made. But this time, in 1 Chronicles 15, preparation was made. In other words, they did things God's way and not their way. And we saw last week, it was their way. They, they put the ark, like the Philistines did, on a, on a new cart. And, and that was not God's plan. God had made it clear in the, in the book of Numbers, in the book of Exodus, that the ark was not to be put on a cart, but the ark, the presence of God, was to be carried. And it was to be carried on two poles, and the, the, the poles went through little rings on each side of the ark, and and there would be four men who would carry it, and they carry it on their shoulders, two at the back and, and two at the front, and they had to be Levites. So God had a way. God had an order in which things were to be done. And, you know, we've got to, we've got to seek the mind of the Lord and the order of God and the plan of God and how things are to be done his way, and then seek by his grace to do it. And there was no preparation. The first time, everything went wrong. Revival is coming. We must prepare naturally. We must prepare spiritually. And naturally and spiritually. And, you know, just thinking this morning that, um, you know, over the, last, over the last number of years, you know, under the leadership of Pastor Tucker, that many preparations have been made in this building. This building has been, been, you know, it's been improved, it's been renovated, the, the, the rooms have been done up, and, and many things have been added and ready. But, you know, of course, the main preparation is, you know, a spiritual preparation. And, we, and we're praying that this place, that this building, you know, will be filled with students who are coming here to study the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, and there'll be the moving of the Spirit amongst them, and, you know, for revival to break out. And so in our lives too, there's natural preparations, there's spiritual preparations. 
we need to get into the Word of God to study God's Word so that we can, we can when p- many people come to the Lord, we can help them, we can teach them, we can encourage them, we can work maybe one-on-one with people so that they can grow in the Lord. And we prepare you know, as we pray, as we seek God, as we press into God. You know, we're preparing, we're preparing a way for the ark. We're preparing a way for the presence of the living God to come in our very in our very midst. And David's tabernacle, really, it's very simple. It was just the ark, and it was on, the ark was placed in Mount Zion when it got there, and it was just it was just a tent that was over it. Very simple, very simple. But yet, it was one of the most powerful of the dwelling places of God in the scriptures. So, number one, David prepared a place for the ark. We must prepare for the presence of God. Number two, the, the, as, I, as I mentioned before, the Levites were carrying the ark. The Levites were carrying the ark. Now, that was God's way. God was very particular how that ark had to be transported. And in Numbers 4 and verse 15, it says, it was to be carried. It was not to be put on a, on a cart. It was not to be put on a truck or something else. No, it had to be carried, and it had to be carried by a certain group of people, and they had to be Levites or priests from the tribe of Levi, from the tribe of Levi. In the first attempt, we saw last week that Uzzah and Ohio, they were looking after the ark, but they were from the tribe of Judah, and so it was not God's way. It was not God's way. And it ended up in, in, in Uzzah being struck dead by the Lord. We must do things in God's divine order. And in the second attempt, which, praise the Lord, was successful, the Levites carried the ark upon their shoulders. In First Corinthians, Chronicles 15, 15, It tells us there, and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded. When God instructed Moses, Moses instructed the people, this is how it's done, according to the word of the Lord. And so the the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of Levites. And in verse 3 of 1 1 Chronicles 15, we see you know, David gathered. He gathered all of Israel to Jerusalem for, the, for this, this grand occasion of bringing the ark from the house of Obadiah, short distance, maybe five or six miles, to Jerusalem. And it was a, it was a, it was a big thing. It was a big event. And uh, all of Israel was gathered. Thousands of people came from all over Israel. The people, get, the people came. The people people. You know, but the people gathered because the ark, the presence and power of God was coming to Mount Zion within Jerusalem. So number two was that the Levites were carrying the ark. And number three, the priests had to sanctify themselves. The priests had to sanctify themselves. In 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 12, 1 Chronicles and 15 and verse 12, it tells us there, 
chief or the fathers of the Levites, sanctify yourselves. Now that little phrase, sanctify yourselves. Now, we think, well, often we think of sanctification and, you know, we think, well, the Lord will do that for us or, or that's the job for the Lord. But And that is true. That is true. But it's very clear from that scripture that the Lord said to us, the Lord says to the, to the Levites, if they were going to bear the ark, they had to sanctify themselves. The word sanctify so it's a, it simply means to be set apart. They had to be set apart f- for the Lord. And so the Levites, in order to carry it, wasn't enough, it w- wasn't enough just for the Levites to carry the ark and not someone, I mean, it, it could not be people from the other tribes. It had to be only from the Levites. But even when the Levites were carrying the ark, that in itself was not enough. Those Levites who carried the ark they must sanctify themselves. They must sanctify themselves. And if we are going to experience the presence of God in greater ways, we must sanct- We have a part to sanctify ourselves, to set our lives apart, to set us apart, to set our lives apart for the presence of God. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren. What, why do we sanctify ourselves? So we can bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel into the place that I prepared for it. So it's sanctify yourselves. And in 1 Chronicles 13, they had not appropriated the sacrifices necessary for their sanctification. They'd not done it. And they had to be separated, set apart. The first attempt, they were not. Disaster happened. And we need to be separated. We need to be set apart from sin, to be set apart from the world, to be set apart from the flesh and the things of the flesh and the devil. To be sanctified is to be separated, to be set apart. And then again it says in verse 14, again we read the same thing. It's repeated again. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves They had to do it to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. So in order to bring the ark to Zion, they had to be sanctified. And for us to bring God's presence, his manifest presence, his tangible presence in a greater way into our midst here at Mount Zion Church, you know, we must be sanctified. And we, we can't say, well, God, God, do it all. No, we have to do our part. It says sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself. And we are called to become. We're called to become kings. We're called to become priests. And so in, in verse 12, we, we saw it. And it was repeated in verse 15. They were called to sanctify themselves. And this speaks of you know, our part in sanctification, and it's necessary to bring back the, the manifest presence of God. Our lives, you know, God does not want us to be up and down and in our Christian life. You know, some people, they're in church, then, they're, then we don't see them, and then 
you know, they're up and they're down. Sometimes they've got the victory, then they're down in the dumps. But God wants us to be consistent, to be set apart, to be free, to have the victory over the power of sin in our life. As we've mentioned, if the Son shall make us free, we shall be free indeed. And it's the will of God for everyone, every believer who is serious with God. God wants to break the shackles and cause us to be free. Sanctification, to be set apart. And it means to be set apart exclusively for God's use and God's purpose. You know, if, if something is, you, you, you consecrate it or you sanctify it, you set it apart. If you set apart, you know, maybe you, you set apart something. Even it, it can be an object, it can be, it can be something, it can be, be, be a vehicle. To be, to be set apart, set apart for no other use, but just for God's purposes. And so God wants our lives to be set apart for him, to be set apart for God's use, for God's purposes. And this means that the power of the old nature you know, has to be dealt with. My will, my ego, all our you know, faculties can be ex, you know, exclusively for God's use. So sanctification. Sometimes in the mar- you've got a margin. In my margin, it's got got consecration, and you know sanctification, consecration are you know very very similar. And sanctification or consecration it involves both both our part and God's part. But first of all, there must be must be our part. We must we must give our lives. Paul said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We must consecrate ourselves, give our lives fully to the Lord. And in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22, 23, it's speaking there about the ram of consecration. And this ram of consecration, ram of sanctification, and Aaron and his sons, they, they, laid, they laid hands upon it, they shed the blood, and then Moses took the blood and from the blood of that animal, he put the, the, the blood, he put some blood on the tip of Aaron's right ear and upon the, right, on the, 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 upon the thumb of the right hand and upon the great toe, the great toe of his right, right foot. So blood went on that right ear, blood went on the right thumb, blood went on the big toe of the right foot. And, and it was the, the ram of consecration. His blood was shed. So first there comes the consecration of our, of, our, of our whole being, a giving over of our lives, our will, our mind, our emotions, our bodies. And, you know, then when we do that, you know, God can sanctify us. And there can be a work of, the work of fire and the fire of God and purging away those things which are not of God purging away the flesh, you know, in our lives. So God cannot sanctify us or set us apart until we, are co- until we have voluntary, voluntarily consecrated our lives to him. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 
that you should abstain from fornication, abstain from sexual sin. And those Thessalonican believers, the society in which they were, was before you know, they got saved, you know, there was just rampant you know, immorality and so on, similar to what we have today. And so when they came to the Lord, Paul writes to them and says, the will of God is your sanctification, even your, your, your consecration, that you should abstain from fornication. And then in, in, in chapter 5 and verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So there it speaks of God, the God of peace. He's the one to sanctify us. He will sanctify us wholly. So we, we sanctify ourselves, but also it is God who sanctifies us. And this speaks of you know, God's part in sanctification. And as the priests of the Old Testament, you know, they were set aside for God's use. And so God wants our lives you know, set apart for his use. You know, some people, they, they come to the Lord, they get saved, they, they, they come to church, they do good things, they may even tithe and, and, and so on, but, you know, they, they want to do what they want to do and they don't want the Lord to guide them and to direct them. And so if we're going to have the manifest presence of God, you know, we've got to do things his way and sanctify ourselves. And it's interesting, you know, the right ear, the right thumb, and the big toe. And, you know, blood was shed upon each of those areas. And with our ear, you know, we hear, and God wants our ears to be dead to all the other controlling voices. And, you know, there's many voices that want to speak to us. And there's many that are not of God. But we've got to be dead to the wrong voice and alive to the voice of God. And our ear, you know, bit by bit, coming to obey God's will and God's voice, you know, implicit obedience. And there's a thumb. The thumb, thumb speaks of power. It's the, you know, Psalm 44.3, the, the right hand of God. But power is dangerous if we don't know how to handle it. I mean, even Moses, mighty man of God. I mean, on uh, one time he got so exasperated with the children of Israel, their constant rebellion and their constant criticizing. And God said to struck the, the, rock, the rock once, and he struck it in his, in his anger. He struck the rock twice. And as a result of that, he, he was not allowed into the promised land. James and John in the New Testament you know, they wanted to call down fire from heaven upon the Samaritans and, you know, judge them, strike them down. They were not ready to handle it. So if we're going to see the presence of God, you know, God wants us to be prepared, even prepared to, and to prepare us so that, you know, the power of God, when God moves by his spirit, does not, does not destroy us. And then the blood was also put on the big toe. And the foot speaks our feet. We walk with our feet. We go places with our feet. It speaks of the direction of our life, you know, where you go. And Jesus, Jesus only went where the Father directed him. 
Mark 1, verse 38, Jesus said, let us go, let us go to the next town. You know, that is what the Father wanted. In Acts chapter 8, we see of Philip, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, leave Samaria and go through the wilderness. I mean, in the natural, it was a very crazy, it did not make sense. It did not, it did not register with the human thinking. Because why would you want to leave revival where God is moving and go to a desert where nobody is? But God does not make mistakes. And we know how that through that encounter, the Ethiopian eunuch got saved and the gospel went to the nation of Ethiopia. So to get, to get the ark to Zion, they had to sanctify themselves. And it's the same with us. If we want the manifest presence of God in our lives, each area of our lives need to be placed on the altar. You know, our mind, our ear, our thumb, our toe. And the last one, number four, as they brought the ark to Zion, you know, many sacrifices were involved along the way, along that journey. And in 2 Samuel 6, in verse 13, it says, And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, six paces, now six paces, six steps, that's only about 18 feet, 18 to 20 feet. And that's all they went, just six steps. And then he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. So... As David was bringing the ark from the house of Obedidim, from the house of Obedidim to Mount Zion, it was accomplished by you know th there was great joy, and as we read, you know, as we read in two Samuel six and, and one and one Chronicles fifteen, there was the instruments were playing, the tambourines were playing, the, the trumpets were blowing, there was singing, there was great rejoicing, there was dancing, there were the instruments. It was it was a, a tremendous time, a, a celebration time. It was such a joyous occasion, and the procession was was led by King David, and they stopped every six pace every six paces. They stopped and sacrificed an ox and a fatling every eighteen feet. There was a sacrifice, and we're not sure exactly how far it was from Obadiah's house to Mount Zion, but you know maybe it was about six miles. Uh, they say it was about eight miles from from Jerusalem to Kirjath-Jerim, which is northwest from from Jerusalem to Kirjath-Jerim, and that's where the journey began. So, if it was say six miles. And if you work out the mass, it comes to over 1,700 sacrifices in order to carry the ark to Mount Zion. So there's a thought of sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices. But the sacrifices we must make if we're going to have the presence of God. You know, six paces. Six is the number of man. Then the oxen represents natural strength. You know, fatlings, they were considered, they were, you know, the young, the young uh, animals, the young cows uh, who are, you know, fattened up, especially for slaughter. And they were, 
were, they were considered the finest meat that could be served. And for David to bring the ark of God to Zion, it required like a continual sacrifice for that which represented his, his own strength and the very best, you know, and the very best, uh, very best meat that could be served. Now just think about it. If there was a sacrifice every 18 feet or 20 feet, and that's not far. I mean, in that procession from Obed-Edom's house to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there must have been a trail of blood and guts and inward parts, you know, as far as the eye could see. And no wonder when David eventually arrived at the gates of Jerusalem, no wonder, you know, he was rejoicing and dancing with all his heart and with all his might when they finally made it from the house of Obed-Edom into the, the gates of Jerusalem. But for David, no price was too great for David. Regardless, regardless of the price, we cannot settle for anything less than seeing the glory of God revealed in the midst of his people. And I, I believe God wants us to keep praying, keep praying, 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 not giving up, crying out to God that we will experience the manifest presence of God. The presence of God will, will be manifest, you know, in our midst. And, uh, you know, bit by bit, bit by bit. And even I was just thinking that time of praise and worship we had on Wednesday night down at the lodge. I mean, you know, the Lord just, it was just a, a precious time, very precious time. Now, God's got much more, I know, but it was just little, God gives little tasters you know, of, of, of his presence, of his presence. And God wants that to increase, to increase, to increase. So there's the manifest presence, the glory of God in our midst. Exodus 33, 14, my presence shall go with thee. I will give thee rest. Psalm 132 and verse 13, 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He's desired it for his habitation. And we read, this is my rest forever. Here will I dwell. Where does God dwell? He dwells in Zion. That's why we want to go to Zion, because the Lord is there. The Lord is dwelling there. And he, the Lord says, for I have desired it. I have desired it. You know, King David, he lo loved the presence of God so much. He said we would never be able. He said he would never be able to, never be able to rest until the Lord had a until the Lord first had a place to rest, had a place to rest. And in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 28 and verse 29, we read the account of that ark coming to Jerusalem, coming to Zion. And all Israel brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord, was shouting with the sound of the cornet, with trumpets, with cymbals, with psalteries, with harps, you know, all a variety of musical instruments. And it came to pass as the Ark of the Covenant came to the city of David. You know, Michael, the wife of David, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window. She saw what was going on. She criticized David. She despised him in her heart. And you know, God judged her. And from that time on, she was barren. She bore no more children. And it's a dangerous thing to criticize what God is doing. 
because God can cause us to be barren. No fruit spiritually. Be careful with your words. Be careful. Don't criticize things. Don't criticize people. You know, great praise and rejoicing as the ark came to Zion. And David, he danced before the Lord. He was dancing before the Lord with all his might. But Michael, his wife, despised him, became barren. Now, it's true, David made mistakes in bringing the ark to Zion. Nevertheless, he truly was a great man of God, a man after God's own heart. Many sacrifices he made. There was no price too great for him to pay to bring the ark, the presence of God, to Mount Zion. And for 44 years, you know, there was an open heaven, 44 years, there was an open heaven, God's manifest presence for all who qualified was there on Mount Zion. I want to close this morning just with a testimony about a visitation of God. And it's by John Kilpatrick. And he tells about a visitation he had when he was still a teenager. He was still in his teens, young man. And his pastor's name was Pastor Wetzel. And it was a difficult time in the church. It was in the southern USA. Southern USA. I'm not sure what state it was in, but in the south, there were race riots going on and at that time in the area they were living. It was a difficult time in the church. And even, you know, they had to lock the doors. People, people came in, stole things from the church. And, but a group of teenagers, the pastor, Pastor Wetzel, he was, not, he was an elderly man. He was an older man. But there was a group of these young people, a group of teenagers, and they gathered together to pray with the, with the old pastor. And they prayed regularly in the church. In fact, they prayed daily in the church. And, you know, often the police would come and check them up and check up on them just that there'd be no trouble or, or, or people breaking in. In fact, on the front door of the church at night, they would have five, not just one lock, not just two, but five locks on the door. It was bolted shut. And this, on this particular night, the, the, the door was bolted. They were inside, but the door was bolted on the outside, and they were praying. And just about the, when it was, they'd finished their prayer time, it was, it was about the time to leave, they came to the altar. And they just sat there round the altar. And then, like a holy hush came over them. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, both of the church doors, they had five locks on them, just swung open. They flung open. And they knew that they'd been bolted and locked. And there were 17 teenagers, young people at the prayer meeting, at the meeting with the pastor. And they looked up to see two powerful angels 
walked through the entrance. And one turned like a soldier and went to the right side in the back of the sanctuary and stood there solemnly, filling the area from the floor to the ceiling. And the other angel, also like a soldier, went to the left side of the church and stood solemnly, his presence reaching from the floor to the ceiling. The doors were wide open. I prayed, dig, I prayed. This is John Kilpatrick, he, while he was a teenager. He said, dear Lord, I should not be here. I'm too young for this. And I said, we had prayed nightly for two years. Every night they prayed for two years. But they never seen anything like this before. We were not sure what to do. When I looked at one of the angels, I noticed no wings or shields or helmets. Simply saw different hues of blues, pinks, golden, brilliant colors forming an aura around them, which were too bright to pierce. They stood radiantly for what must have been the very longest five minutes that I have ever experienced. We sat in silence, stunned. No one moved. Finally, Pastor Wetzel stood up and he moved to the back of the church to close the doors. By this time, the, the, the angels had, had gone. We followed him. And when we got to the area where the angels had been, we fell down on the floor like dominoes under the power of the Holy Spirit. They were not able to stand up. Bang, bang, bang. They, the 17, they, they fell down, unable to stand. And these doors, these doors were still open. And nobody bothered us, bothered us all night long. At 3 a.m. in the morning, we were as safe as anything, cradled in the arms of God's holy creatures. Next thing I knew, the sun was coming up. As we awoke, we noticed the doors were still wide open a reminder of our heavenly visitors and God's promise to watch over us and guard us through the night. The following week at the midweek service, things seemed ordinary at the beginning. But then as the pastor began to speak, the whole church fell under the power of the Holy Spirit. 38 people received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God's spirit fell on that place, and that little church was never the same again that experienced a visitation from the Lord. You know, the glory came. The presence of God came. The Shekinah, the, the, the manifest, tangible presence of God came in their midst. And God wants to, you know, sometimes you think, well, you hear about this happened there and this happened there and this great thing happened in this place, but Lord, what about us? What about me? You know, God is no respecter of persons. And if we will do things God's way, if we will sanctify ourselves, if we will prepare for the presence of God, if we will be set apart, totally for him. If we will seek him and pray, you know, God can come. And God comes in many different ways. But God is wanting to come in our midst in ways we have never experienced before.
Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Oh God, Lord, put a hunger in our hearts for you. Put a fresh thirst in our hearts. Oh God, that we would know you. We would know you in a personal and intimate way. Oh God, have mercy on Mount Zion Church. Oh God, oh God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Heavenly Father. Manifest your presence. Manifest your power. Manifest your glory. Lord, we're not content of where we are. Lord, we want more. We want more. Lord, it's only you who can birth within us. Lord, a desire for you. A passion for you. Lord, put within us a hunger, a thirst. Lord, to pray, to seek your face, to wait upon you, to draw near to you, to prepare ourselves for your glory. Help us, Lord, to sanctify ourselves, that we would be set apart exclusively for you and for your purposes. Oh God, come. Meet with us afresh. Oh God, meet with us as only you can. Lord, seal these truths in our hearts. Lord, may it not just be another message, but oh God, oh God, work it out in our hearts and cause us to pursue you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our being. Come, Lord. In your precious name, amen.